Queer Relationships, an IM clinic podcast devoted to helping you, the LGBTQ plus community, create the love lives and relationships you crave. You know, I also had people reaching out to me where they met their long-term partner using the sex apps, or they've met their long-term partners at a bathhouse or in other sexually charged situations. And, you know, I got to say that 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 sort of result is what I, I always wanted to happen. It's almost like the model, like the model that gets discovered in a marketplace in Brazil or at a shopping mall in New York or, mm-hmm. you know, and all of a sudden, oh, you know, that's how I was discovered. That's sort of what I feel and like the conversations I've had with other gay men that that's what we're hoping for as well. You know, like, oh, maybe this one, we have such a great time. Maybe it can build into something like, like these stories I've heard in the past. And it's not common. That's not what we're, what we're experiencing. And if they do get into those relationships, it doesn't, from what, right, my own experience, it doesn't go anywhere. Several weeks ago, I was doing my little bedtime Rona ritual and thumbing through endless TikToks until I came across one by Jer Bear. He was sitting in his car talking about hookup apps and the pain they caused and why he stopped using them. In a very articulate way, he put into words a narrative that many gay men repeat. Hookup apps leaving them feeling used and lonely. In today's episode with Jerbear, we explore what it is about sex and hookup apps that can create internal strife and the need for changes. I think many of you will resonate with his words and maybe even inspire to make shifts in your own sex life if need be. His experience has left him with what seems to be a life-changing shift, revealing happiness and self-confidence as a gay man living out and proud. Let's take a listen. Well, thank you for doing this. Big, yeah. Thanks for thanks for asking me to do this. Absolutely. Yeah, when I saw one of your TikToks about kind of what Grinder has, what kind of role it's played in your life and that sort of thing, I was like, oh my gosh, I totally want him on the show. Yeah, it's um I'm still getting people reaching out, uh just to briefly, you know, share their story and, sure. and you know, in just a couple sentences and um, I, I didn't think it was going to be as relatable as it was. I was just responding to someone's question uh, regarding how to escape the hookup culture. And, um, it, you know, I didn't think it was going to, I just didn't think it was going to resonate with so many people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are, um, what are some of the things that you're hearing? Like what's, what's going on in the community? Uh, well, you know, so I have I have a lot of people uh, who are connecting with the same experience of of leaving the uh, the hookup culture in the gay community. Mm-hmm. Um, the the so so the original video that I had made was um, what is something that's glamorized but it's actually extremely toxic. And in that video, I had explained the hookup culture in the gay community mm-hmm. and how it's very much normalized and how, uh, you know, risky sexual behavior is, is somehow, uh, you know, fostered and encouraged. Um, and then I briefly touched on my own experience and someone was asking me, well, how did you get out of it? And when I, when I replied, that's when I started to get people messaging me privately. That was my story as well. Um, you know, how did you, you know, what sort of support groups did you go to? Um, people commenting on how they felt like just last night I had someone commenting how they they left and they stopped uh, behaving that way because they felt uh, used and abused 
afterwards. Mm. Uh, there was sort of like this empty feeling that came from it that they no longer wanted to experience. So I've had lots, and you know, an outpour of support and of uh, people sharing their common experiences. But then I've also had a lot of negative reactions to the video. A lot of people, because I, and, it, and it's very, and I, so in, in part of that response video, I said how, you know, I, I haven't engaged in, the, in those behaviors in about 15 or 16 months. And when I tried dating again, I was encountering guys who didn't know how to have a conversation if it wasn't revolving around sex. I remember this one guy in particular who I thought was, you know, someone who I really wanted to get to know. I was excited. You know, we were, we were having a good conversation. All of a sudden he started to focus way too much on sexuality, way too much on the positions. And I was like, yo, like this is this, like I, and I told him, I was like, you know what? I, I, I respect that this is very important to you, but I don't think we're going to connect. And there was just so many examples of that. Where I was like, I'm like, there, there seems to be like a sickness within the community where this is somehow okay. Um, and I said that in the video because it was like, I remember specifically, I was texting this one guy um, and then we went off the app and within three messages, he sent me, you know, an X-rated video of himself. Mm -hmm. I was like, and I, and I had, to, I had to laugh because of it, because of how absurd it was, because we weren't even, the conversation wasn't even headed in that, in that direction. And so people were commenting on that, you know, oh, you're, you're being homophobic, uh, you know, you're painting the community all in one brush. And, and I had to start getting into it with them. Um, mm -hmm. I was like, listen, there's, there's a lot of things that are extremely wrong in the community just outside of this issue. You know, you have, you know, the, the ignorance and the stigma that still comes with HIV and AIDS, especially in the dating community, uh, especially in the hookup community, where they're more willing to accept the word of a stranger that tells you that, you know, they're negative when they want to engage in risky behavior, but then will discriminate against someone if they're honest about being HIV positive and undetectable. It's just, it's so bizarre. It is unbelievably bizarre. Mm -hmm. And so I've had people coming out with support, but also with extreme dislike for what I said. I can imagine. I think that what I hear as a clinician oftentimes are people saying things like, you know, our sexuality was so suppressed. And now that we're kind of a stronger community, we deserve to express it however we like. If, if we could kind of break it down a little bit more, what do you think makes it toxic? Like for you, what was your experience and what gave you that toxic feeling? You know, I, I really, I really just wanted to quickly like touch on what you initially said about you know we were being suppressed for so and repressed for so long. Sure. I agree with that. I had a conversation with someone online about that. I totally agree. We were, we were, we were pushed into the shadows for for thousands of years. It was not okay. You know, we and so sexuality was the only way that we can connect with another male. Uh, you know, in secret, in private, with the shame and the you know and everything that came with that. You know, I, I totally understand and, and, and respect that because that was my experience too growing up. You know, I, it was not okay. Um, I look at kids now in high school where they're able to, and not all, because I know homophobia is still, you know, with, you know, the newer generation, especially in school. But, you know, I see TikToks and videos of, you know, people expressing their love interest for the same sex. And like, wow, we've grown. Mm -hmm. We've definitely grown 
to a point where, where that's acceptable, even if it's just online. But but there is, you know, growing up with that, right? Sort of everything having to be hidden, sex being the only way we could we could sort of interact. Um, I think that did a, a lot of damage. I think um, I think I think as in general, and I, you know, what, I'll speak for myself. I didn't know that there was another way. Um, because all of my friends are doing the same thing because of the, the way that it's sort of, I don't, you know, promoted in a way. Um, I thought the toxicity I found was where I was, I thought this was a way to live. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was okay to have multiple sexual partners in a week or even sometimes in a day, you know, I would, I would share these experiences with people and they didn't think anything was wrong with it. Um, because they were they're also doing the same thing. I found I was trying to find a, a genuine connection in those behaviors, and it was never manifesting itself. I remember a couple of years ago, I was I had joined a um, a gay volleyball team because I was like, you know what? Um, let me try to meet someone organically. It wasn't happening in three seasons. Um, I was connecting with other males, but they were, but the, but the sex again was at the forefront. I was like, this is, I started to feel insane because I'm like, you know, you know, you, you, you think someone likes you and you have an encounter and then things change all of a sudden. And now I'm left with processing. Where did I go wrong? Where did this go sideways? You know, like, am I, was I reading into things too much? And it was just happening so much to where I, I was driving myself insane. I was like, this is, this can't be what, what my life is. Like, I, I just can't live like this anymore. Confusing sex for interest and sex for love and sex for affection and um, realizing that it was none of the sort. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I remember specifically this one guy, you know, we had, uh, you know, we, we would talk several times a day, we would message several times a day. The communication was great. Um, and then we ended up, you know, hooking up in the, in the, you know, in the shower of a, um, of a popular um, uh, bar slash sauna down in Miami. And the communication immediately stopped. He ignored me. Uh, and I remember thinking like, this is, this is so messed up, you know, like this is not where I thought this was going. You know, I thought this was a mutual interest. Um, and all it was, was just fun at the end of the day, you know, and there's, and there's nothing wrong with that per se specifically it's just how i felt afterwards that i i couldn't deal with anymore and i think that's where the toxicity lied was where how i felt afterwards a lot of the encounters that i had you know throughout my adult life uh you know and even even as a teenager they were nameless they were um sometimes wordless you know very just just physical it was just so like animalistic and so detached from any sense of connection other than just physical and that does something to you you know that really does something to your soul that does something to your mind that does something to you profoundly uh and i just i just couldn't i just couldn't do it anymore um i had to you know, enter into a support group. I had to, you know, talk with other people that have had similar experiences, um, you know, lean on them for support and how they, how they did it. You know, I had to really start to look at, you know, my own issues that drove me to behave that way. Um, 
because I needed to be better. I needed to to sort of heal myself from from that type of behavior. It almost sounds like you felt used. I, you know what, I did, and it didn't matter what I did sexually. It was the same result. Mm. Hmm. When you said you had to clean up some of the behaviors that led you to that. What do you feel like some of those were as a clinician? My guess might be wanting love, connection, loneliness. What did you encounter? What were you experiencing? You know, looking back, I had a very um, emotionally deprived childhood. And I know for a fact, I looked at sex as a way to connect. Hmm. And and that's how I would how I would how I would try to make those 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 uh, those connections, right? The, the attempts that I would make. Um, you know, I got into my first relationship and I didn't know how to act, and I was constantly cheating because I didn't know what else to do. I, you know, it was I had built up sort of this behavior since I was fourteen. So now I'm twenty, twenty one in a relationship, madly in love, and I can't stop cheating on him. I didn't know how to not behave that way. Um, he was giving me everything I, I needed. You know, I, I loved him dearly. We loved each other dearly. But I just couldn't let go of, of that. And I didn't know, looking back, I mean, 21, how much myself personally, how much, you know, emotional awareness that I have where, you know, where I could understand that there was a deeper lying issue. I, I didn't know. Sure. Um, you know, so it took a long time. Uh, you know, like I said, it, it took it took me to the point of you know wanting to commit suicide on several occasions because of the way that I was behaving, because of the loneliness, because of the depression. Um, for me to just really pump the brakes on on everything and just have the train come full stop. That is, I think, a story that is all too common not to minimize your experience, but to give credit mm. to the to the desperation and the loneliness that we can feel. Kind of the, and I think the interesting thing that you're describing or the important thing that you're describing is the loneliness that we can feel even when we're in this committed, loving, safe relationship. That there's still something within us that is hungry. One of yeah. the things, you know, I described this with um, people that I get to work with often, but it's this idea of growing up feeling like we're in an emotional desert where we're starving mm. to have emotional sustenance, to feed off of mm. the belonging, the connection, the love, the feeling cherished. And mm. when, we, when we leave the desert and we enter a relationship, it's like sitting at a buffet table, but the fear is what if this isn't enough? Or what if I get rejected from this table? Maybe I need to make sure that I have three or four other tables that I can eat from because I don't know if I'm going to be rejected again. And so I think even though we're in these loving, committed relationships where, the, where we're completely satisfied, we still tend to scan the horizon to make sure that we have other places where we're being validated because we're so emotionally hungry. You know, uh, you know, I don't know what to 
I guess that's maybe one way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think me personally, I don't think I, I don't know. I don't know if I looked at it like that. I don't know if I, it was just a, a way of, a way of just behaving, a way of sort of, sort of like relieving stress, a way of justifying, you know, well, you know, we had an argument and he said, whatever, and now I'm going to, you know, do this, um, to sort of you know make myself feel better even a score some crap i don't you know mm-hmm. um kind of like a way of soothing the pain like a, yeah absolutely you know it was i'm stressed out you know uh, who's around you know or, or suddenly you know whatever it is i'm suddenly excited by something uh let me engage uh you know it was sort of uh sort of this this inability to cope with those feelings uh i think that made me sort of behaving that way mm-hmm. well some of those feelings must have been overwhelming you know yes the desire the desire to 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 have sex with another with another male definitely was um but see when i was younger it was sort of like you know you're young and you're you know your body is just you know hormonally at a certain point and i thought that this is just what, what guys do. This is just what gay guys do. I, you know, I thought it was just completely normal. And, uh, you know, it only took over the last couple of years, uh, you know, maybe a little bit longer than that. But, um, you know, for me to just like, something's not right here. Like this, this isn't normal. You know, I, I sort of, um, compare it to, so, so, cause that was another thing that came up was, you know, gay guys saying, well, it's not just the hookup culture isn't just in the gay community. It's also in the hetero community. You know, oh, you're, you know, it's you're, like you're, you're being unfair by looking at the gay community and, you know, with these glasses. And I, you know, I have to say um, in the hetero community, you have women that are the counterbalance to male behavior. They are the ones that dictate what is acceptable and what is unacceptable as far as um, especially in courtship, especially in sexual behavior. You know, when you're texting a woman for romantic interest and you send her a shirtless picture, she will probably nine times out of 10 block you, you know, depending on the context of the conversation. But somehow it's okay when you're going to meet someone up in the gay community to pick them out, up on a date or you're just chatting to get to know them for x-rated photos or shirtless photos to be exchanged or there, there, there's just something that we, we don't have a counterbalance there is nothing to tell us that what we're doing is wrong or inappropriate mm-hmm. you know if anything it's a culture of indulgence you know I, i've had people message me well um you're you're slut shaming you are you know uh you're, you're looking at this all wrong and it's not People can live how they live. That's not what I'm trying to do. That wasn't what the point of the video was. It was for, you know, for me trying to engage normally, you know, um, sort of in the the context of friendship or, you know, possibly a romantic interest, what I was encountering and what just seems so unbelievably bizarre when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that... um, I kind of want to start at a place where we kind of distinguish emotional intimacy from sexual intimacy. 
And I think for a lot of us, men, women, gender non-binary, the, the idea is that emotional intimacy will lead to sexual intimacy. And for mm -hmm. some, it's vice versa. Sexual intimacy leads to emotional intimacy. But I think if we've grown up in a, in a position where we were emotionally hungry as kiddos, mm. we're going to try and create that connection somehow. And oftentimes, sex is sure. kind of the easy vehicle, right? Sure. But I think as we rely on sexual intimacy for the connection, the thing that we still have not resolved, the challenge that might still be scary is engaging in relational intimacy because mm -hmm. it's hurt us, it's left us rejected, it's left us feeling valueless or just lonely and isolated. And so as we're creating the sexual intimacy, we get a pinch of emotional intimacy, but maybe sure. we're still afraid of it or we're still... Um, wondering if we're really good enough to make the relationship work beyond sex. And oftentimes what I see is kind of this um, thrilling, euphoric aspect to apps like Grindr or Scruff or whatever it might be. Because we do this thing called negative control. It's this idea that if I post a picture, I can get you to then lean in and soothe me um, by engaging me sexually. So if my picture's good enough and you engage, then I know I'm worthy enough. Mm. And I think that hunt for a lot of people is insatiable. If I mm. grew up feeling unworthy, I can post these pictures and I can get my phone to chime like crazy. And then right. I, at least in that moment, feel valuable. Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, yeah, there's definitely some, some validation aspects to that. I, you know, I have to agree. You know, I also had people reaching out to me where they, they've, they've met their long-term partner using the sex apps, or they've met their long-term partners at a bathhouse, or, um, you know, in, in other sexually charged situations. And you know, I got to say that 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 sort of that um, result is what I always I always wanted to happen. And so I would, it was almost like, it's almost like the model, like the model that gets discovered in a marketplace in Brazil or at a shopping mall in New York, or, mm -hmm. you know, just on the beach in Miami, you know, and all of a sudden, oh, you know, that's how I was discovered. That's sort of what I feel. And like the conversations I've had with other gay men that that's what we're hoping for as well. You know, like, oh, maybe this one, we had such a great time. Maybe it can build into something like like these stories i've heard in the past and it's it's not common that's not what we're what we're experiencing and if they do get into those relationships it doesn't from what right my own experience it doesn't go anywhere or you know it's because it's only based on just sex like that's just it's for me personally it's like working backwards mm -hmm. like now i've you know i've unwrapped my present uh now we got to work backwards from here. Now we got to work, you know, what's, what's like behind, what's, what's behind the skin, right? Like mm -hmm. what else is here? Like, and it, you know, it never worked out that way for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I kind of, I really in, um, respect what you're saying here because it's kind of like now that I've engaged this person sexually and I've unwrapped my present, 
what is their maturity level? What is their emotional IQ? Um, how do they handle conflict or um, challenges? How do they treat their friends and their loved ones? And right. it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a rare moment to kind of discover your person in that context. You know, and to me, that is what's really sexy, you know, is to see someone engage with their friends, you know, out and about, um, you know, how they, like you said, how they handle conflicts, you know, what they say to you when you're having a tough moment. It's like you start to develop this level of safetyness with them emotionally that, that only serves to make that person even more sexier, right? We're having a great time. This person can make me laugh. You know, this, there's like this bonding that happens because I had it. You know, I remember what that was like a couple of times when I had healthy relationships. And I remember like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I, I only want to be with this person even more. But when I would work backwards, it was like, there was a disconnect. It was very dissonant. It just, it's like, oh, like, I really thought they were sexy as hell until I saw the way that they talked to their mom. Like, oh, this is, oh, this is not what I thought it was mm -hmm. at all. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. I wanted to take a moment to let you know about a unique opportunity Queer Relationships is offering. Over the past 10 years, I've sat with people and couples and walked them through some pretty difficult times. We all want thriving lives, but creating the love lives and relationships we crave is a journey and Queer Relationships wants to help you on that journey. We're accepting inquiries from those who want to come on the show and sit with the therapist and gain some insight into their struggles. Whether that's helping you find peace with your identity, ways to emotionally handle an unsupportive or critical family, help getting past roadblocks in your sexual relationships, or maybe ways to save your relationship that you fear is headed for disaster, we're here to help. For more information about how to become a guest, visit www.iamclinic.org forward slash queer hyphen relationships. That's iamclinic.org forward slash queer hyphen relationships. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the show. I think that for some of us, there's this process of saying, if I find a trophy guy, if, he's, if, mm. if I can find someone who looks perfect, then that must mean that I'm worthy enough and, and I feel valuable enough. And so we kind of go on this cat and mouse chase of saying, well, he wanted me, but is there someone a little more perfect who will want me? Looking and for the next best thing. Yeah, yep. the next best thing. I think that that yep. hunt is, I've noticed that in myself. So I'll just speak from personal experiences to say, where is the mm. next best thing? I'm right here in this moment on this wonderful date, but is my husband right around the corner? And mm. I think that that sent me on this, um, kind of value hunt of who, which man can really prove that I'm worthy enough to belong and, and that I have some sort of value to offer just the world, that I am this valuable person, you know? Yeah. And I think that when I would feel relationships becoming close and intimate, it would scare me half to death because it meant, um, that I would somehow have to sacrifice finding the perfect man for safety and for belonging. But I couldn't 
realize that at the time. It just felt like I was settling for less than I deserved. Mm. And I think for me, it was kind of this idea of I didn't know how valuable I was if my phone wasn't chiming, if the grinder notification wasn't going off, if people weren't responding to my pics, then I, I couldn't find the sense of value for myself. And I think that probably, I mean, my 20s were god awful and lonely. And I think that that mm. lack of knowing my own worth and the things I did to prop up my self-esteem were probably the, the system that I needed to destroy. And I, I hear that story often in a lot of people. I think it's interesting. I don't know if you feel this way, but I often say that um, relational safety actually feels threatening when someone says, I love you, I want you, I love you unconditionally. There's a part of us that kind of goes like, oh God, I don't know if this is the one. I don't know if this is where I put my stake in the ground. Like, oh crap, you know? You know, it's interesting you say that because now that you mentioned that, I had to like dig back, um, you know, to a relationship with a guy who I was madly in love with. And I, you know, I remember thinking, because as much as we were, we were very much in love, it was, um, there were definitely some negative aspects to it. I remember questioning myself, like, you know, could I see myself, um, you know, I love him. I love him very much, dearly, just everything in me. But I remember not knowing if it was the right match. I don't know if I used that as an excuse to behave the way that I did. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure. You know, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's been a long time. I, I you know, when it comes to dating, I'm, I'm very, you know, if I feel like I'm not emotionally safe with that person, I, I just tend to move on rather quickly. Um, so I don't really know. I can't really speak to, you know, mm -hmm. um, to what you just commented on, if, you know, if, if that's sort of a thing. Um, yeah, you kind of um, sparked a little piece of interest for me in the sense that, and I don't, I'm, I'm being a general here, maybe even a little pejorative, yeah. but the idea that if we're only practicing sexual intimacy within the gay community, we're leaving out the skill set of of refining and trusting the relational intimacy. And it's mm. almost like we walk around really confident to find someone to hook up with, but maybe uh. a lot of us are lacking the skills then to make that sexual relationship into a deeply emotional relationship. I don't, I don't want to be mean here or judge the community, but in the sense no. of saying I needed I didn't know what it took and, and how it yeah. felt to make a relationship work. I, that took a lot of practice over a lot of years, you know? Yeah, you know, and I, and I think it goes back to when you said, you know, the next best, you know, we're sort of keeping an eye on the next best thing. I, I've honestly felt like, so I live in Miami. I grew up in Miami and, um, you know, I am like, I don't have a gay job, you know, <laughs> You know, I don't live like, you know, and, and I'm and I'm and I'm making fun of it sort of because, um, you know, a lot of um, a lot of us, because we don't tie down with family and marriage, you know, traditionally early on, we excel in our career paths 
rather quickly, you know, we, we, we tend to have, you know, generally as a community, we tend to be higher, you know, higher education, um, higher earning potential. Uh, you know, these are just things that are, that, that are. Um, and I remember, especially when I was on, the, on this um, gay volleyball team, you know, I was, you know, you're, you're training with these guys several times a week. You're playing, you know, these tournaments, uh, these, you know, these matches anyway. And um, I found myself unwillingly comparing my life to them. Right. And I was like, crap, like, you know, I don't feel like I'm in, like I'm good enough. You know, like, could this be why I'm not finding a mate? You know, and it, and it's like this this mindfuck of, you know, am I good enough? Is this why I'm, you know, I'm I'm not interesting to people? Is this, you know, um, because it is, you know, Miami is the way that it is. Uh, you know, I wonder, I wonder if that plays a role. You know, it, and it's, you know, it's like, like I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, and then again, you know. You know, then my it's and then it's like the physical aspect of it. You know, where like there's like this obsession with you know with body types and you know body image, and it's like, you know, I've even considered you know for a short time I was like, should I like do I need to be doing like steroids? Like, is that you know because it seems I mean you know like I mean because I I was I was you know in a community in Fort Lauderdale where I swear to you almost everyone was juicing, you know like every, mm-hmm. like I, and I remember being at the gym and I remember that's when it sort of destroyed this illusion of like a natural body was when I was in um one of the gyms in Fort Lauderdale and one of the guys who I was you know we used to we see each other all the time um you know we got into a conversation and he was telling me how and I used to like look at this guy like like that's the body type right like that's what I'm striving for and I will see all these guys around me and this guy was like yeah we pretty much all juice and he like was explaining to me his regimen. He was explaining to me his friend's regimen, who was somebody I didn't even, you know, know was his friend at the gym, but I saw him there a lot. And I was like, this is all like an illusion. Like not, not every, you know, of course not everybody that has this body type is going about it this way. But, um, you know, I remember just finding things out about people and like, wow, this is, this is not what I thought it was. Um, but, there, but before I did, I was like, is this what I need to do in order to feel attractive is this it you know it's 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 tough and i've also you know had conversations with people that don't fit into this normal body type you know where now now men with you know dad bods is like a thing but you know you still i remember i would still have conversations with men you know online and tell me they never felt accepted in the community because of the way that they looked um you know i've had you know people tell me as well that you know, excuse me that um you know, there's racism within the community itself, you know, as far as, um, you know, black people are, are concerned, you know, where they felt that, you know, even, you know, it's, there's like a lot of things that just sort of, I don't know if it affected my chances, you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's just, a, you know, you, you get to a point where you sort of start to analyze everything in your life and where, what's wrong with me, mm-hmm. you know, why, why can't I, why am I not able to find a mate, you know, or someone to have mutual interest? You know, am I ugly? Is this really what it is? You know, you start, to, <laughs> you start to look inward, you know, you're like, wow, what's really like fundamentally wrong with me? Um, oh, this whole journey of a, of a homosexual man or, or, you know, I feel even, you know, of, of, of like of the entire LGBTQ plus community, I feel like it's just, 
a mind, a, like a mind screw. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is just a mind screw. <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of like this. Um, the standard of perfection is almost unattainable. Mm-hmm. You know, to find the perfect guy must mean then that I have to be perfect with the abs and the arms and the obliques and the blah, blah, blah. And the job, the apartment, the car, whatever it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I think we put ourselves under such what we call body surveillance, like we're just judging and monitoring and um, obsessing about how we're being presented to the world, that we're more concerned with the image that we're creating rather than being authentic relational people Mm. and i feel like if if we feel as though we're less than perfect we will create ways of soothing that pain including for some of us hopping on grinder posting pictures and getting people to like them and we're like oh thank god someone likes what i am right and that's where i feel like if that's the motive of people on grinder i just want to I want to say, like, let's stop and help you find your value. Kind of the word yeah. that we're talking about without actually talking about it as self-esteem. Mm. Yeah, you know, I thought I had it. You know, <laughs> I thought I had self-esteem. Um, you know, I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't think there was anything wrong with, with what I was doing. And, and not, not that there is anything inherently wrong with it. But again, we go to, how do you feel afterwards? You know, how do you feel about yourself in the, in the coming days after that? I think that's, I think that's the most important question to ask yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, does this make me feel better about myself in the long term? Or is this just a, a quick fix in the mm-hmm. moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the big distinction, maybe to give a good title is not only how am I feeling? Because I love that kind of internal compass but maybe even a logical compass of am i doing this as a way of propping up my self-esteem in other words what we call that is other esteeming is this mm. sexual cycle or the use of grinder designed to help me feel better about myself or am i fully confident even when no one's watching even if no one likes my pictures and i'm still engaging someone sexually to have fun or to experience pleasure. Uh, I think that distinguish, distinction between other esteem and self-esteem could be a really good apparatus for people to kind of uh, judge. Because I think that there's so many of us that get confused. I know I did for many years saying, I feel confident because these men want me. But then uh-huh. when no one wanted me on that random Friday night when I had three glasses of wine and it felt like everybody on Grinder didn't want me, it, I couldn't sustain my self-esteem anymore. Uh-huh. And it was after that cycling through that for a while, I realized, oh, this isn't actually self-esteem because it's not intact if people don't want me. And I sure. think that that's where I had to kind of start to journey. Um, to, to really develop the self-esteem, which means then I found that sense of inherent value. You know, so I really appreciate what you're saying here. Yeah, all right. And I'm, and I'm glad that you're able, you know, I'm glad that you and, you know, others have been able to connect with it because I felt, you know, I've only been able to have these conversations with very close friends of mine, you know, where we even had to discuss, like, what is up with 
the ignorance of the HIV in the community or being undetectable, people still don't want to believe that. Mm-hmm. You know, where they will still disengage from you romantically if they were to find out that you're HIV positive. And it's mm-hmm. so bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, and so like, and so all of that we've just discussed, including that, was only things that I could discuss with people closest to me because uh, it's just, you know, m- more or less just out of safety, right? Because it was something that I couldn't wrap my head around, made absolutely no sense. Um, you know, there was a time where knowledge was everything in the community when it came to specific issues. And now it's like, not there, mm-hmm. you know, now there's like the, the fear and the stigma is back, um, probably worse than before, which makes no sense to me, you know, given that when, when you're online, when you're on Grinder, you're communicating with faceless torsos with barely anything written in the profiles you don't know if this name they gave you is true or not but yet most likely you're going to accept what they tell you if they're you know based you know what they tell you when you ask them what their status is and that to me is what i used to find insane it's a completely disconnected app where you, you don't you know complete strangers on these on these profiles but somehow you're going to, you know, you're going to take their word for it mm-hmm. and then engage in risky behavior because you're on Discovery or you're on Truvada. Mm-hmm. Like how much it makes, it makes no sense, mm-hmm. but this is, but this is the, the world that we're living in right now. It's just, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad that we were able to touch on these particular topics, uh, because I don't feel like it's discussed enough. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, I think one of the things that comes up is, you know, the stigma around HIV is so strong that we discriminate against that. And then we hop onto Scovy or Truvada and we think that we're going to be safe, but then we're exposed to all of these other STIs. Everything else. And mm-hmm. yeah, and I think that it's really sad the way that we have allowed the stigma of HIV to uh, discriminate in such an inappropriate and inaccurate way. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's um. Yeah. So I mean, this is you know, this is why I told. You know, I told people, um, you know, I have to detach completely because even safe sex practices are sometimes ridiculed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, I Oftentimes remember, I remember, I used to, uh, yeah. yeah, I remember, I remember, I, I, you know, having conversations with, with new friends. I was like, oh, you know, do you, I remember asking one of them jokingly, like, oh, cause Ricky Martin had posted, you know, a picture of him in some shorts. Um, and he was looking, you know, mighty tasty. I think it was in the early part of last year before the pandemic. And I sent um, someone a screenshot of that, and I was like, "Oh, would you, you know, let, would you let him hit it without a condom?" And he was like, uh, "You know, I wouldn't let anybody hit it without a condom." And I remember we got, you know, I remember me lightly making fun of him, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Why am I, you know?" Now looking back, it's like, why, why do I care? Why is this a bad thing? You know, I mean, you know, 
and having conversations with other people, it would also tell me they would be discriminated against online if they were wanting to engage in sexual behavior with condoms that, that people would lose interest. And I was like, this is, this is interesting. Um, because I remember I used to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want to rock with condoms? Like, okay, then I got to find somebody else. Mm-hmm. This isn't, this isn't happening. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know, it's just, it's really, it's, it's just interesting to see how things have evolved. And, and unfortunately, a lot in that, in that in specific aspects, it hasn't necessarily evolved in a good way. Mm-hmm. As you're talking, it almost kind of um, makes me think that we're not really taking good care of each other. Mm. It's almost like, I don't know if this is necessarily, this is not one size fits all, but almost in the sense mm-hmm. of like, I'd mm-hmm. rather feel dominant and thrill mm. than safe and care yeah maybe Mm -hmm. yeah i I know that was the way i know that was the way i felt you know when i I would when i would engage uh without protection you know it was sort of it was risky it was exciting um you know because the worst the worst can't happen anymore right we can't die from aids Mm -hmm. right um you know right so that 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 right so so like so it's okay something you know somehow in my mind things made things made sense that way um but yeah i have to me personally i have to agree with that that was that definitely played some part uh in the way that i behaved for Mm -hmm. sure as we're talking today i can hear kind of like a lot of pain that you've experienced in the community kind of like a an anger why did you do this to me is that accurate not so much not so much why they did it to me more of like why i allowed myself to think that was okay i see why why did i why did i believe it mm-hmm. what made me believe that was okay that somehow I, you know I needed to allow these things to happen or, or I wanted to have these things happen. Um, mm-hmm. I think probably my biggest frustration has always been connecting with someone on a mutual level and encountering all of the obstacles that came with that and being you know, left with the frustration and like, wow, this really sucks. Mm-hmm. Because then maybe if my life was this way, maybe it would be different. Maybe if I, you know, had made better choices when I was younger, maybe I wouldn't have this moment right now of rejection, loneliness, emptiness, etc. You know, it took it took a lot of work on myself to be able to deal emotionally to be able to look back and emotionally understand what I was going through with me personally. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm at a, I'm at a point now in life where, you know, I'm, I'm for once I'm happy, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living a full rich life and it's got nothing to do with sexual behaviors where sexual validation doesn't play a role in my life anymore. You know, I, I don't, um, 
I don't, I don't, my life doesn't revolve around finding someone. Uh, it's, it's very, I never thought I would get to this point in life. You know, I remember always thinking, well, I'm going to die alone. Well, I guess I'm going to die alone. You know, I guess I'm going to die, you know, I guess I'm just going to gather, you know, have cats. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 yes. you know the, the funny thing we tell ourselves, right? Like, oh, I guess For I'm sure. just going to be a cat lady. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, <laughs> and I remember being like really sort of depressed and angry about that before. Yeah. And now it's like, you know, it's like, okay, well, what's wrong with being a cat lady? You know, like if that's, if that's how I end up, that's how I end up. You know, it's been, there's been a lot of acceptance, but it's only come from, from working on myself. Mm-hmm. Taking the sexual behavior off, maybe the other steaming off of the bookshelf, what did you put in place? More like deeper friendships? Um, like w- what were the things you worked on that really brought you to this place of happiness? Trauma. There were unresolved trauma that I wasn't dealing with appropriately. Mm-hmm. And emotional deficiencies that I had to work on. That it's mm-hmm. not about it's not about do these people like me or or am I enough for that person? It's am I enough for myself? How do I, you know, how do I measure my own accomplishments and self-worth? Um because looking back, I was doing nothing but disrespecting myself at every turn when it came to engaging in sexual behavior with men who didn't care about me or I didn't care about them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like I said, you know, it didn't matter what what position I took in the bedroom. It was ultimately disrespect. And not disrespecting myself for 16 months has been such a wonderful experience of self-love where I'm not willing to, I don't feel like I have to do anything. Or um, I remember I went on one date and we had a great time and we just hugged. And then we went our separate ways. And I remember how good that felt where I didn't feel like I needed to kiss this guy, even though I really wanted to. Mm-hmm. but I didn't have to because there would be time for that. You know, it was sort of like this, like I feel in a sense uh, balanced and I don't feel deprived of anything, even though I haven't had sexual contact in, in 16 months. Um, I think, I think that, I think that's probably been, the greatest result out of all of this, all of this work. And none of it's been easy. I don't want anybody to think that you can just flip a switch from one day to the next and feel this way because I went through 16 months of horrible. The beginning, it was, you know, it was maybe like a a period of like, wow, like of stability. And then it was like, oh crap, like I'm really freaking lonely. Like, what do I what am I doing? What am I doing all of this for? What's the point of this? It was, it was, you know, definitely emotional journey. Uh, You know, I've had, I've had points of, you know, you know, where coping with certain trauma will lead you 
the not so healthy thoughts of possibly doing things to yourself. I mean, this is not, you know, everybody's experience is going to be completely different. Um, but this was definitely mine. You know, it wasn't easy. Uh, it was only through the help of, you know, these support groups where I was able to really lean on people who've been through similar experiences, uh, who want something different. Um, you know, that I've been, I've been able to sort of develop this lifestyle now where it's just a part of my daily routine and my daily habits of self-love and self-respect, um, not engaging in certain things that will, you know, very reminiscent of, of the life that I used to live. Um, I think that's, that's what I would put on that book, on that bookshelf <laughs> would be, you know, this, this entire journey of self-love and, and self-respect and, and filling it with that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. It sounds like in a really good way, you needed a bigger bookshelf. You put a lot of stuff in place. Yeah. It sounds liberating. And I can hear kind of the confidence, but also the contentment, like just being so fulfilled with what you've created yeah. so far. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's been a blessing. It really has been. Good for you. You know, I think it's yeah, so, thanks, yeah, I, I honestly do think it's, um, for those of us who find ourselves in this position, it's um, almost kind of like a renegade position to say mm. there, there are these cultural norms or cultural uh, mores, these, these ways of being in the culture, and mm. it just doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go find something that really does. Right. And I think that's, um, that's a very admirable position. You know, one other thing I wanted to just throw in there was, um, was I, I, so, um, I've never had so many straight friends in my life. And mm-hmm. I remember as a kid being associated with a gay person was one of the worst things that could happen to you socially. Mm-hmm. Um, you were, you were guilty by association. You know, I'm, I'm only 36 and I remember, you know, being in, in, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, um, you know, the early 2000s, even when it was starting to become more and more acceptable, you, I still wasn't, I still didn't have that diversity in my inner circle. And it's only been now as an adult where I've been able to interact with heterosexual men at the workplace, you know, uh, you know, in other situations, and we can now share our experiences and they are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can talk to some of my shared coworkers about horrible dates or about, you know, the difficulty of finding a true connection and the entire conversation is genderless. Mm-hmm. Like, like the experiences are exactly the same. And it's been, I think it's, I think it's amazing that we're at that point now, you know, where we can have conversations like that and we can connect on, or I can connect on that level with them. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just really broadened my world (laughs) And, and it's made me feel, yeah, it's made me feel very normal. Yes. Mm hmm. 
I know as a as a graduate student, I, I went to um, a very conservative Christian seminary for my master's degree. Mm. And mm. Um, there's a whole conversion therapy story behind that. But I remember in one of the lectures, they were teaching us on how to work with people who were same sex attracted is the language they used. And mm -hmm. they painted this picture that somehow queer people were going to present such bizarre or unique or deviant things. And then I started working with the queer population and the straight population. It was like, these people are saying the same things. Their problems are the mm -hmm. same. Their love is the same. Mm -hmm. Their challenges are the mm -hmm. same. And that was, I agree with you. It was so liberating to say, I am normal. Mm -hmm. And to experience that at coworkers next to the water cooler is profound. It's profound. Yeah. You know, we actually put, you know, we ask know each other about their, you know, our dates and mm -hmm. like just, you know, like I shared a, a terrible date experience and we laughed about it because they also had similar horrible dating experience. It's just, mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, um, it, it can be that way if you want it to. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think, again, to just give you another compliment, it sounds like you had to have come to such a steadfast place of confidence to be able to engage people that way you know we don't walk into those straight environments and say hey here i am <laughs> let me tell you about my date last yeah. night unless we know how innocent and how beautiful it is yeah. you know yeah dude thank you so much for being willing to come on today and uh but more than that for just your truth and, and your courage to kind of speak because everybody might not resonate with your perspective, but I think many, sure. many, many people will. And I, I really just respect your voice for putting it out there and saying things that other people might be afraid to. No, I, you know, thank you. You know, I really appreciate you uh, having this discussion with me. Let me start off by saying we all connect in different ways. Some of us might resonate with Jer Bear's experiences, while others might take his perspective as anti-sex positive. Sex plays a variety of roles for all of us in the LGBTQ community. Some sex is healthy and other versions are not so much. Jer Bear describes an all-too-common experience I hear about more often than not, and there are several reasons as to why sex can leave us feeling lonely, used, and even self-disrespected. One of the more prevalent experiences I hear about is that sex is used as a form of self-soothing, and not just a tactic to soothe a basic fear or a moment of boredom, but to soothe something way more profound. Life in the closet or an emotionally dry childhood can easily leave us emotionally starved and confused, particularly asking questions about our worth, our desirability, and our power to create satisfying relationships. Many of us leave the closet or childhood wondering if we are worthy of love and affection, if our true out-personalities will be enjoyed, and, after living in a gendered world where our same gender wasn't exactly warm and inviting, we consider if we are desirable to other people of our own gender. I remember, after years of being teased and rejection, that no man, not even a gay man, would want me. In such a confused internal dilemma, we hunt to answer our most foundational questions, like, 
Am I enough to be desired? Or will the partner of my dreams want someone like me? Sex, as it were, helped us feel like we got answers to our deepest curiosities. But my fear for some of us using sex in this manner stems from the fact that we might be using the ability to get a sexual partner to answer our foundational self-informing questions. We become reliant on the need to secure another hookup and the dating apps as a way of mimicking a sense of self-confidence. What's happening on the implicit layer or on the subconscious layer is that we're relying only on the responses of others to inform who we are, thus calling it other esteem. The more malignant part of other esteeming is that it always requires other people to feel confident in our own skin. And in this light, it may feel like needing sex, another partner, even if we have one, or praise from other people can become addictive. We can feel stuck in a cycle of feeling confident in one instance, but utterly alone and empty in the next. Feeling completely seen and wanted one day and then ghosted and lonely the next. If we found someone using sex in a similar way, then both persons are hunting for the next whoosh of praise, and the end result is both people wanting to be known, but being left for another whoosh of acceptance. The paradox, then, is that our desire to belong will imminently leave us actually feeling isolated, unwanted, unworthy, and shaming ourselves for not being quote-unquote perfect. And of course, to soothe that pain, we open the app one more time for another round of other esteeming. To move away from the cycle, we have to find the ability to fortify our own confidence without the notifications beeping on our phones, the chimes going off, and the DMs flooding in from someone else. In other words, like Jerbear, we have to put in the work to know for ourselves what it feels like to embrace our inherent worth. We have to internalize, assimilate, and trust the positive information we believe about ourselves more than the feedback we're getting from others. From there, we have to conquer our fears of relational intimacy and hang in there long enough to learn that safety is actually safe, that love is safe, that settling down and committing is safe, in the right context, of course, with the right person. We have to erase the old definitions of relational intimacy we created when we were closeted, and we have to rewrite those definitions now that we are capable of being loved unconditionally. Trusting yourself with another person might just show you that the belonging you've been looking for this entire time is possible, and sex might not be needed by itself to convince you. So if you find yourself in a similar position to Jerbear, be courageous to venture beyond the norm. That's where you might actually find your relational home. Until next time. Queer Relation Tips is a podcast sponsored by I Am Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ plus community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. I Am Clinic, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at I am clinic. That's I am clinic. <laughs>